Thank you so much. We're in Judges chapter 8 tonight. Judges chapter 8. I uh, do ask you to, it's on your list here. Keep in mind the, the pastor's conference upcoming and the upcoming revival services we have just a month away now. And I sure hope you've got that on your calendars. Um, and also for sure invite you to the, to the pastor's conference. Uh, you can be a help here when you're, when you're uh, I mean, all the things we have to feed them and all those things as well. So uh, we can certainly use as much help as we can, but there'll be a lot of a lot of a lot of blessings that day we can experience. So be praying for those: the pastors' conference and the the revival services upcoming. Um, it's been an exciting week for me personally speaking. Just as I'm kind of looking towards next year, did a lot of work to this week on the theme for next year and planning some of those things. I'm looking forward when we can say goodbye to 2020. Amen. Aren't you? I think at the end of this year, they're going to take a little flash thing and, and flash us in the face, and we won't remember any of it, I hope. We'll just go from 2019 to 2021 and just forget this year. But uh, praise the Lord anyway. He's been good throughout. and want to uh, certainly give him the glory for that. Judges chapter 8. Have you, uh, I suppose this is true for all of us, that sometimes in life we just get tired. We just get to the point where we want to throw in the towel, uh, I'm talking about in the midst of doing God's work. I mean, in the middle of serving, in the middle of being and doing what we're supposed to be doing, providing for our family and raising our kids, and then we just get, we can just get tired in the work. And uh, maybe even during a time of victory in our life, we can just get tired. Tonight, I want to look at uh, just this is a, a text here. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll just pick pick from it to read beginning, and then I'll look at some verses as we go throughout. But this is. Uh, really about weariness, about criticism, about steadfastness despite it all in Gideon's men here. Uh, often we read the story of Gideon. I've got to admit I've kind of been guilty of that. And then as we read the rest of it, if we continue to read, kind of check out. I mean, we see, we see the great victory he had, and we've talked about that the couple, last couple of weeks. And what happens here in this text is really... Uh, probably almost a greater uh, depiction of Gideon's character than the battle was. So let's get into it. Judges chapter 8, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, And Gideon came to Jordan, passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. I want you to think about those words, because that's going to be kind of the theme of our whole message tonight. Faint, but yet pursuing. Why We can imagine... Why they're faint. They'd been up all night, the night they were to attack. The, not only the physical strain, can you imagine the mental strain of going against an army of 135,000 warriors with your 300 men? Of course they're faint. They're tired. They're fatigued, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. He's asking the men of Succoth, which are Israelites. These are his people. He's asking them for bread. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? Not thine army, our army. Is what it was, but he calls it thine army. And Gideon said, 
Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. He's went to two different people, his people, the people he's fighting for, the ones he is trying to deliver from these Midianites. And they won't even give him food. It's amazing. Uh, let's go down to verse number 15. And he came into the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto any thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars and with them, and he taught, <laughs> he taught the men of Succoth. Basically, he taught them a lesson uh, for their refusal. Now, obviously, we, the, he had taken those kings. Look at verse number 28. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. Father, help us now tonight as we look at this passage. We could gain something from it for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Gideon's victory over the Midianites here continues, and it concludes in a complete success. Retribution now is being brought onto the Midianite army. Not only have they been defeated, not only are they fleeing, but Gideon's going to chase them and finish the job. The two kings of Midian, Zeb, Zeba and Zalmunna, he's finishing off here in this text, and did. He captured and slew them. And uh, this concluded the great victory over the Midianites. They were the leaders of the Midianite oppression on Israel. Now, our text, though, really where we want to focus is on another retribution on some Israelites for opposing Gideon's final pursuit. These Israelites uh, found that God does not look kindly on those, even his own, who hinder God's work. And we ought never to allow ourselves to get, be, be in a place where we hinder God's work at all. Uh, we, we're going to look tonight at the, that the provoking, the pursuit, and the punishment from this retribution, looking first of all at the provoking of it. Now, we already know what provoked the retribution on the Midianites. We know why he is battling them. I want to look at what motivated the retribution against some of these Israelites. Gideon and his 300 have passed over the Jordan River. They're pursuing the last two kings, uh, the last survivors of the Midianite army. They are faint, the Bible says, yet pursuing, verse 4. And I love those words because it's a picture of those that, uh, that they're doing God's work, and even though they're tired, even though they're enduring hardship, they keep going. Praise God for those that just continue in the work of the Lord. Great things never come from comfort zones. And a lot of us like to reside in our comfort zones. We like to do what's comfortable, not get uncomfortable. But you don't really accomplish anything great there. And so they were in great need of physical nourishment. Now Gideon did the normal thing that an army would do in those days. He asked for food in the towns that he passed through. The leaders here he spoke to in Succoth and Penuel. These are towns that 
are known for when Jacob returned from Canaan after 20 years with Laban. When he left with his family, that's, these are the towns he passed through as well. And so Gideon says, I pray you give, uh, give us loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they are faint. And amazingly, they refused the request. They wouldn't give bread to their own army. Can you imagine a nation that does not support their own troops? I think we can, actually, unfortunately, in the nation that we live in today. The refusal to help Gideon in pursuit of the Midianites was absolute shameful behavior. Uh, what made it so shameful is of how noble a cause that it was. He, he represented a very worthy work. We know that. Uh, we also see that God's hand was clearly on what he was doing. And for seven years, uh, the Midianites had oppressed Israel, had, uh, and by the way, they hadn't been shy about their goal. The Bible told us, tells in Psalm 83, 11, Yea, all their princes as Zebda and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take to ourselves the house of God in possession. Basically, what they have, let's just take it. And they did for seven years. During that time, the Israelites were forced to hide in caves and dens, the Bible says, or ditches and holes, try to just basically stay alive. But now the Midianites are being driven out. God is putting an end to this invasion. So it was a very noble cause. It was a cause that they, everybody in Israel should be willing to get behind. It was a, a work that would benefit all of Israel. Everyone would benefit from it. And so all should support it. And I want to look at just on several levels how wrong this was. It was very cowardly. It takes boldness to do the work of the Lord, doesn't it? Uh, we see that with Gideon, man, he and his men. In fact, they, it required so much boldness and so much character that God trimmed all those many thousands of soldiers from his army to where there was only 300 left. And with 300, they did what God needed them to do. And, uh, but here, the leaders of Succoth and Penuel, they lacked courage to do God's work. They revealed their cowardice. They weren't going to help Gideon unless the, hand, the, the kings were already in the hands of Gideon. Essentially, what they're saying is, we don't know you're going to win. <laughs> Are you already, do you already have custody of these two kings? How are we going to help you before you even have custody of them? So they had no faith in what Gideon was doing. They weren't far that Succoth and Peniel would be close to the Midianite uh, dwelling, and so they would, could easily be avenged were Gideon to lose the battle. So they didn't have the courage to do the right thing. Uh, th this, is, this is just pure, simple cowardice. Evidence of cowardice. We still have cowards, spiritually speaking, in our midst today. People that will, uh, or Christians that refuse to take a stand against evil. Uh, Christians that are afraid to do so because may, they might lose respect or they might lose friends or uh, the, the opinions of other people. Preachers who will not speak against sin for fear of offending someone. Uh, these, this is cowardice in God's people today. Spiritual cowards do not have the boldness to take a stand against evil. We need to take a stand against evil in today's day and age, don't we? Are we not being overrun by it in our nation today? We need to take a stand against it. And yet, uh, sin so, so positions itself that it, is, it, it, it takes a very bold person to stand against evil. So, if you will be of any help 
in doing any work that attacks evil, you'll have to, you can't be the kind of person that checks the way the wind's blowing before you take a stand. It's one of the reasons I hate poll-driven politicians. I mean, you poll a thousand people to see what color pantsuit you wear. And you poll people to figure out which way you stand on an issue. Uh, we have people, uh, politicians that switch sides after they realize they think their polls, uh, more people agree with this, and so now I agree with it. Nobody stands on their principles, and it takes someone bold to do so. So this is cowardliness. It, it really comes from a lack of faith. Faith makes us bold in the Lord's work. If you lack boldness as a Christian, really what you're lacking is faith. The Bible tells us that Moses' parents, in Hebrews 11.23, tells us they were bold because of their faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. They were not afraid of the king's commandment by faith. They had faith, so they did not have this fear of the king's commandment. Moses also, the Bible says, was bold because of his faith. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. It was a bold move, and he did it because he had faith. So at the root of cowardliness in the Christian life is a lack of faith. We need to, and faith, as we've said many times, is just believing God. That's really all faith is. We believe God. So they acted cowardly. They also acted traitorously. The people of Succoth and Penuel were Israelites. They were refusing aid and support of really their own army. This is really, in my opinion, treasonous. And what they did here. Uh, you don't have to go to battle with the Midianites to, to uh, be guilty of treason. You really only have to withhold support from the ones who are battling the Midianites. It's a good thing for us to remember in our country today. This business of kneeling for the national anthem. Burning the flag. Spitting on law enforcement. This is treasonous. I, I don't think it's any less than treason. And it's wicked, wicked behavior. And this is what they were guilty of here. Uh, now, this same treasonous attitude, again, can be applied to our Christian life, can be applied even in the church, church members who do not only not support the church, but attempt to harm it. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me, Matthew 12.30. If you do not support him, you are against him. There's really no middle ground. You cannot... As a Christian, claim neutral ground. There's no such thing as a, what is it, Switzerland Christian? <laughs> neutral, middle ground. Number three, they acted selfishly. Gideon's request was reasonable. It wasn't demanding. He did not demand that they go fight with him. He only had 300 men. He was still chasing 15,000 people. He didn't demand they go fight with him. He just wanted bread. He just wanted some food. Uh, he could have asked them to risk their lives. He did not. Gideon's request was a simple one, yet it was still rejected. These leaders were so selfish, they did not even part with some bread, with some food to help Gideon. It was a work that would, that would greatly benefit them and their country, and it's nothing but pure, miserable selfishness that they did not help him. And selfishness is so short-sighted. It always is, among other things. Selfishness in our life is short-sighted. Uh, because selfishness did not realize that in, in acting selfishly, we really cut our own throat. Look at what, in this story here, if Gideon loses, what would happen? Well, in turn, Succoth and Penuel, would, uh, they would come steal their bread. Either way, they're going to lose the bread. 
I mean, if uh, Gideon loses the battle, then Midianites will come and take everything from them. Giving to Gideon was not losing bread, but assuring themselves of future bread. But selfishness doesn't think that way. Selfishness always looks at the right here and the right now, and they were acting very, very selfishly. We see their conduct uh, was reviled. Consider all that Gideon and his 300 have done up to this point. They have whittled the Midianite army down from 135,000 people. Of course, the Ephraimites helped with that as well to only 15,000. They, along with these two kings, are fleeing for their lives, this 15,000 and the two kings. They should have proven. I mean, is that not enough evidence for Succoth and Penuel to know that God's with this man? I mean, they're able to take this army with 300. Should have been evidence that uh, no matter what we think, obviously God's hand is on Gideon. We ought to get on board. And yet they didn't. The leaders scorned the performance of Gideon. They didn't only say no. The Bible said in verse 15, Gideon, remembering back, says, you did upbraid me. That word upbraid means to reproach, to revile, to scorn. It discredited all of Gideon and his 300, their past achievements as if it were nothing. They would misrepresent Gideon and his men as if they had not done anything worthy of support. And, and I say that because this is what people who don't support the work of God, they, they never have anything good to say about God's man, for one thing, or God's workers. Uh, if, if the work is not respected, the worker will not be respected, as we see right here. And no matter how much good they do, anyone who does anything for God, you get busy serving God in any area, you'll, have, you'll, you'll find this out very soon. It, the, the accomplishments that you uh, are able to rack up in serving God, though they may be great, will often be totally ignored and the focus will be only on what you have not yet done. Look at what, what they did. They look, they didn't, they did, not for a minute did they talk about Gideon's immense success with God's help. All it was, are the kings in your hand yet? Do you have custody of the kings or not? We're going to focus on what you haven't done yet. It had been wise for them to look back at what God had just did through Gideon. If that's correct English, it's not. <laughs> what God had just done through Gideon. That would have been wise for them, wouldn't it? But they didn't have any interest on it, looking only at what he had not yet done. Listen, you may be faint yet pursuing your duties. Don't allow criticism to detract you about something that's not done yet. Uh, often not much credit is given on what has already been accomplished. And yet, what did Gideon do here? And this is the key to it. He kept on going. He did not allow this to... He didn't allow the Ephraimites' criticism to stop him. He doesn't allow these... Although he does let them know what's going to happen to them, and he carries it through. Uh, he, he did not allow them to be a hindrance to what he does. And that's, what, that's why I say this is such a victory in Gideon's life here. Because there's nothing, there's no time in your ministry serving God that's going to be easier to stop you than when you're really, really, really tired, fatigued, uh, hungry. And we're, we're, we're beyond hungry here. I mean, they are, they're probably hardly able to stand up. And it's easy to make a bad decision when you're tired, when you're fatigued. In fact, we ought never to do that, <laughs> make a... Bad, uh, a big decision when we're 
uh, physically fatigued. So the pursuit by Gideon and the, of the Midianite army was successful. And steadfastness, this is what the word I want to have stick in your mind tonight. Steadfastness. This is the important key to Gideon's success. Because before he had success, he had steadfastness. That is always the case in any success. You're going to have to have some steadfastness, or my first pastor's word I used to love, I think he made it up, stick to <laughs> Just stick to it, like that postage stamp. Just be like a postage stamp. Just stick to the job until you get there. That's all a postage stamp does. And it would be good if many Christians would do that. Stick to it in a steadfastness. True success always includes steadfastness. Let me ask you tonight, are you a steadfast Christian? That means even if the going gets difficult, you keep on going. You just keep going. Even if there's critical people in your path, you just keep on going. You do what God wants you to do. Uh, in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about success. I want you to listen to this verse anew and just let's apply the steadfastness to it. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That steadfastness of speaking. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That steadfastness in meditation. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is steadfastness of conduct. That is written therein for then, after steadfastness has been practiced in all these areas, then thou shalt have good success. Success comes from steadfastness. Again, comfort zones don't bring about success. It takes somebody who's going to get in the work. When they're hungry, they keep going. When they're tired, they keep going. When they're criticized, they just keep going and keep doing the work. That's what Gideon and his men did. We ought to be steadfast in our beliefs and our practice. Two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl. One was an optimistic soul. But the other took the gloomy view, will drown, he lamented, without much ado. And with a last despairing cry, he flung up his legs and said, goodbye. Said the other frog with a steadfast grin, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll just swim around till my strength is spent. Then I'll die the more content. Bravely he swam to work his scheme, and his struggles began to churn the cream. The more he swam, his legs aflutter, the more the cream turned into butter. On top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he gaily hopped. What is the moral? It's easily found. If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. <laughs> just steadfast. Keep on going. We need Christians that will just keep on kicking. You know, it's, the wa it's not the water that drowns you. It's when you stop kicking. That's what drowns you. we got to just keep on going. And so we see this steadfastness in this pursuit here. Uh, and this was exceptional in Gideon and his 300. Now we know later it's referred to that God did give them some extra power. Some, he gave them some extra strength. He just sustained them. Uh, but but uh, they, they wouldn't be satisfied with partial victory. Because think about what they've... All right, we're tired. We're hungry. We can't go on anymore. What more can we do? We've taken this army from 150,000. We've killed two of the kings. Yes, there's two left. Yes, there's 15,000 left, but they're running like scared rabbits. I think we've done enough. But no, they weren't going to be happy with partial victory. They're going to go until all the victory is won. That takes steadfastness. 
Because had Gideon been like many Baptists today and church folks today, this would have been good enough. I mean, what do we've chased them out of our nation. Mission accomplished. But no, Gideon was going to finish the job. And he would not quit until he had completely defeated the Midianites. He would continue, the Bible says in verse 12, until he had discomfited all their, uh, all the host. <coughs> I, it's a lesson to us. Because Gideon was determined he's going to eradicate every single Midianite cancer cell from Israel so that they can never bother them again. And guess what? The Bible tells us in verse uh, 18 or, that uh, they didn't <laughs> for 40 years. They didn't bother him again because Gideon took care of the problem. He saw beyond how tired he was today. He saw beyond how fatigued he was right now, how hungry he was right now, and how emaciated he was right now. And he saw till tomorrow, into tomorrow, and he said, I'm going to keep on going, and he had that steadfastness. Lack of commitment today absolutely plagues our Christianity. Lack of commitment. We're too easily satisfied spiritually. I go to church Sunday morning. That's enough. I do this. That's enough. We're so easily satisfied with what little we do for the Lord. It bothers me less than 5%. 5% of Christians have ever won a soul to Christ. Now, by the way, if that's you, but you're giving out gospel tracts, you don't know what God does with them. We're not called to win the soul. We're called to give the message. So don't let that discourage you. But are you busy at least trying that, giving the gospel out to people? We're too easily satisfied spiritually. We're too easily just, we, we, do, we give our little bit to God and we're just satisfied with it. Financially, we throw a few pennies his way. In. We're satisfied with it. We, we ought to take a lesson from Gideon that it, we, the victory is not won until we completely eradicate the enemy. And today we are so carnal in the spiritual arena that we often quit because we don't really care about a complete victory. So we do a lot of, in the Christian life, we do a lot of halfway jobs. We do just enough to get by today. We never quite overcome our evil habits. This attitude keeps our churches, I believe, from doing anything great for God. Because we just have, if we have a, a bunch of halfway people, and I appreciate you being here tonight. See, I can preach this on a Wednesday night. On a Sunday morning, I might be offending some people, but you're like, you're right, right there, because they were here, amen? You're going all the way. You're at the finish line, amen? That's good. Uh, I, I appreciate that, and I mean that. I appreciate that with all my heart. Those that are faithful, gonna, they're going to just... Do everything they can for God. Don't be satisfied with going halfway. Don't be satisfied with that. Man, I want all of it. And it, it just, it blesses my soul. Because we have, a, we have a church full of people that, hey, Sunday morning's not enough. Sunday night's not enough. Wednesday night, all three. I'm going to do more. I'm going to go through the discipleship. I'm going to get involved here. Praise the Lord for that. We need more, by the way. It's never enough. We see evidence today in our midst, no dedication to the Word of God, lack of faithfulness to church services, absence of holy living. Man, holiness is laughed at today. Holiness is just, it's not preached on. Most churches don't push it. They, don't, uh, they have no expectation of holiness. 
You can live how you want to live, do what you want to do, come to church once a week, check your box, you're all good, we go forward, and there's just no... Hey, God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. There's an expectation of that in Scripture. Gideon's attitude about total victory, well, it wasn't popular then, and it's still not popular today. I'm going to go all the way. It's interesting to me that, that, you know, time really doesn't change that much. It's being sold out to God thousands of years ago and ten minutes ago. There's really no difference. People are people. It's not going to be a popular thing at any time. We're talking about uh, on, on Wednesday, or Sunday night going through Acts. I finished Sunday night today, and, and just this is seen all through the book of Acts. It was not a popular thing to be sold out to God 100%. <laughs> not at all. Gideon pursued the Midianites, and he did it. He was not stopped by difficulties. So he wasn't satisfied with a partial victory. He also was not stopped by difficulties. Great difficulty did not stop him. Yet pursuing, verse 4, this characterized his uh, efforts in spite of his difficulties. The Bible says he was faint, that is exhausted, weak, yet pursuing. He was few in number, yet pursuing. He was unsupported by his people, yet pursuing. He was criticized in his work, yet pursuing. I mean, steadfastness kept right on going. How are we doing in our Christian life? I don't want to go halfway. And I constantly see myself doing that in certain areas. And so this is a reminder. Hey, shore up those areas. Those are certain areas in our Christian life that we're not giving it all to God. You know, we invite God into our hearts, into our lives, and then uh, it's like when you invite somebody over to your house. You know, there's, you, you invite them to the living room, and maybe they'll walk into your kitchen, but you ain't going to invite them into the closet. You know, uh, there's certain areas that are off limits to the guests because that's where everything was thrown when you were cleaning up for them, right? So uh, that's where everything's at, and they open it up, they'll probably die in an avalanche. And so we don't want them to go there. We do that spiritually with God. You can, get, you can see this, you can be this part of my life, you can be in this room, but that room's off limits. And we gotta, He's got to have it all, or he doesn't have us at all. And so we, we have to get to that point. And, I, and look, I'm preaching to myself while you listen. Trust me, it's not easy, any easier for any of us. But we've got to come to the point in our Christian lives, and we're like getting, we're going to give it, every, God's going to get everything. And it, we want total victory. We're going to get into this a little bit more next week about being uh, how he was weak and few in number, criticizing his work, and yet pursuing. So I, I uh, didn't go as far as I wanted to tonight, but it's a great challenge, isn't it, for us to be steadfast. Steadfast. How steadfast are you? Which frog are you? The one that just lays down and dies or the one that keeps on kicking? <laughs> it's not easy. It's difficult. I'm telling you, the easiest thing in the world, the easiest thing in the world is to cruise as a Christian. Just cruise. If it's easy, do it. If it's hard, let it go. We need to get in. Get in. Either get in or get out. But we, God, the Lord even said it in Revelation that he, he would rather that we be hot or warm, but if we're luke, or hot or cold, but if we're lukewarm, he spews us out of his mouth. I contend today that our, our Christendom today is full lukewarmness. And it's a sad thing, but it makes God sick. It makes him sick. 
We, he wants, we would like sold out people. So let's be sold out. Let's be steadfast in our behavior. Father, we